uh, rest and quietness for those who uh, have been having a, a, a bit of, uh, a bit too much uh, excitement. This Sunday, we have the fourth study in our Christmas playlist series. We've already heard Mary's song of praise, Zachariah's song of prophecy, and the angel's song of adoration. Now it's time for Simeon's song of fulfillment. Many of you will have heard Johnny Somerville's sermon about Simeon at the carol service, and I'm certainly going to try not to revisit everything that he said. Next Sunday, our minister, Dr. Sam Mohini, will lead a celebration of Holy Communion. As some of you know, I've been training in the Methodist Church, and Methodists start the year with a service to renew their covenant with God. And for us, coming together on the first Sunday of the new year for a communion service is likewise an opportunity for us to receive Christ anew and resolve to follow him nearly, more nearly, in the year ahead. As usual, there will be a special service here on New Year's Eve. The Korean Church will lead this service beginning at 11pm, and it is an excellent opportunity to reflect prayerfully on the year that has been and to look forward in faith to all that 2019 will be for us. Now, there are other announcements there, but hopefully they, I think they've all been there for a, a little while, and uh, you may have seen them before. Uh, I suppose the one thing to, which is quite timely is that you, you will see that there is a special appeal um, seeking safety in support of one of Christian Aid's partners, the National Council of Christian Churches of Brazil, and uh, that is in connection with a safe house for women, affected, women and children affected by gender-based violence, and there's still an opportunity for us to uh, support that important work, uh, and that's, that, that's announcement number four. And uh, you will also see that the elders and our minister and committee wish you all a blessed new year and indeed continuing blessings during this Christmas season. In the second chapter of the first letter of Peter, we read, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As our opening praise, we're, we're going to sing a famous carol that is 200 years old this Christmas. We're singing most of it in English, but we're going to sing one verse in Portuguese as we think of our connection with Comunidad Pedras Vivas in Portugal, and as we join with many Brazilians who worship with us each Sunday. So we will be singing Silent Night, but we'll also be singing Noite Feliz. Let us pray.
we reflect on our lives, on our role in society, and our role in the world. In an age of twisted values, we have lost the truth we need. In sophisticated language, we have justified our greed. By our struggle for possessions, we have robbed the poor and weak. Hear our cry and heal our nations. Your forgiveness, Lord, we seek. We have built discrimination on our prejudice and fear. Hatred swiftly turns to cruelty if we hold resentments dear. For communities divided by the walls of class and race, hear our cry and heal our nations. Show us, Lord, your love and grace. When our families are broken, when our homes are full of strife, when our children are bewildered, when they lose their way in life, when we fail to give the aged all the care we know we should, hear our cry and heal our nations with your tender fatherhood. We who hear your words so often, choose so rarely to obey. Turn us from our willful blindness. Give us truth to light our way in the power of your spirit. Come to cleanse us, make us new. Hear our cry and heal our nations till our nations honour you. Amen. And we're now going to hear God's word read for us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Andrew. Our New Testament reading this morning is from Luke, chapter 2. It can be found in the Pew Bibles, page 1028. Reading from verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of the purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with that what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after their marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Amen. Thank you, Ian. We're now going to sing to Jesus, the light of the world, who stepped down into darkness. Earlier this year, I edited a novel by Florida writer Jennifer Ball. Some of you will recall me talking about her previous novel, Here, three years ago. This new novel is set in medieval Europe and is called a great light. Uh, you can see that on the cover it says the kingdom to come. So it's, it's, uh, it's a talking about expectation. And that's the name of the series. So she's currently working on the second of the books. Here's a scene from the book where one of the central characters, Cariad, is speaking to his friend Margus about something strange that happened to him. He looked up at the sky and began this story. I saw this incredibly mesmerizing light from my balcony. It's hard to explain it, as it was just so beautiful, I can't really put it into words. It wasn't round and it had a soft flicker to it. You came all the way to this part of the city to tell me about a star? It wasn't a star, it was much too big. So I left to find out what it was. Wait, you mean you left the city just now? Margus interrupted, finally starting to show some interest. <coughs> yes. I was that curious about it. I got a good distance from here. It led me to a creek in an open area of the forest. I roped my horse up and tried walking closer to it. You mean it was in the forest? No, it was still in the sky region, but it was bigger. 
so I thought I must be closer to it, and I just wanted to walk in its direction. Do you see this light now? Margus looked up. No, it's gone. It just disappeared. Well, are you all right? Margus stood up. Of course. I just wanted to tell someone about it. Our next song of praise is to a very familiar tune, but these are words that we don't know. We haven't sung them before. This is telling us the story about Mary and Joseph going to the temple. Mary and Joseph came to the temple, and we stand and sing. I wonder if any of you know a song by the villagers called A Trick of the Light. The most important thing to know about the villagers is that you use the singular when you're describing him. Maybe some of you will go online and listen to it later today. My heart is spilling over, crashing on the ground. I can't see what's around me, but soon I'll come round. My faith is in the balance of a million tiny words, so I return to silence. And if I see a sign in the sky tonight, no one's gonna tell me it's a trick of the light. May never come, but I'm willing to wait. What can I say? I'm a man of the faith. And there's an ocean in my body. And there's a river in my soul. And I'm crying. It's time that I let go of things I can't control. This path that I've taken is the only one I know. Well, I've come so far to get here, and I've got so far to go. So I'll take what I can get in matters of the soul. And our next hymn is Spirit of God on Seen as the Wind, and I think this is also a tune that you know, and I think this is hopefully something that we've uh, sung before, and this is talking about things that we are not aware of that God brings into our life to direct us through the Holy Spirit. And let us take that hymn as a prayer uh, as we think about God's word during this sermon and reflection on the story of Simeon. As the good news about Jesus' birth was first being told, different people were given the information by a wide variety of sources. 
I wonder which source you would have preferred. How would you have responded to the message of an angel? That was how Mary, Joseph, Zachariah, and the shepherds knew what was going on. How would you have responded to the message of the Holy Spirit? That was how Elizabeth and Simeon knew what was going on. Most people, however, received the message from ordinary people like us. Another important source of information is scripture itself. In the context of the event in today's reading, Mary and Joseph were doing something that people had written down as one of God's instructions for his people. Just as it was written down for them, it's written down for us. In Exodus chapter 13, we can read that God told Moses that the people were to consecrate, that is to make holy, every firstborn male. God told him, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Similarly, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, tell us that we should give to God the first and the best of everything that we own. This was what Mary and Joseph were doing. They were bringing their firstborn child to the temple. They were dedicating his life to God. They were giving him to God. You might think that's a somewhat odd thing to do, given that Mary had been told by the angel that her child was the son of God. It's hard to imagine exactly what she was thinking. Maybe she knew exactly what she was doing, affirming that her child was indeed God's son. Or perhaps Mary and Joseph were hoping that the scriptures would show them the way through all of the extraordinary experiences that God had brought into their lives. That gives us some sense of why Mary and Joseph went to the temple that day. Our next question is, what had brought Simeon to be there? Luke makes it clear that he was both righteous and devout. His prayerfulness meant not only that God heard what he had to say, it also meant that Simeon could hear what God had to say to him. We tend to think of the Holy Spirit being received by people in the time of the early church and after that. That is when communities of disciples received the Holy Spirit. But prior to those communities, prior to that time, and even deep into the Old Testament, there were individuals who drew close to God in prayer and received the Holy Spirit at special times. We're told that Simeon was constantly expecting the Messiah to come soon. Why was he waiting expectantly? Luke explains that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah. He trusted the Holy Spirit 
and devoted his life to awaiting the arrival of Jesus the Savior. Simeon also was led by the Spirit in the immediate context of this event. We read in verse 27 that Simeon had been impelled by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple that very day. It's so exciting to be waiting and to be so close. When I heard that he'd be appearing here, I just had to come and wait for him. I went online to get tickets, but I couldn't find them anywhere. But I'm sure that I heard that he was appearing here. But now that I'm here, there's nobody else here and I'm all alone. I was just sitting in my room listening to my radio when I heard it announced that he would be here. Oh, I've always known that I had to see him. And I'm so excited now that it's happening. Years and years I've been waiting to see him. And now I'm going to. It means so much to me that I'm going to buy two tickets for my friends. And two for total strangers. So that everyone can share in this amazing experience. We're going to see him and he's going to be here with us. It's going to be awesome. These three people meet in the temple because they're attentive to God's word and are obedient. We can wonder about some of the details of the encounter that Luke doesn't give. How, for example, does Simeon recognize that this particular baby is the Messiah? There doesn't seem to be any hesitation on his part, and we can presume that he's prompted by the Holy Spirit. Likewise, we can wonder about Simeon's words to Mary and Joseph. Are these entirely his own words of devoted understanding of God's plan, or are they too prompted by the Holy Spirit? We might allow that some of the early statements could be personal expressions of an upright servant of God. He prays to God, saying, Lord, now I can die content. Further into the song, it appears that Simeon's expressing something beyond general understanding of God. We can presume he is being given the right words to say by the Holy Spirit. We can be certain that the Holy Spirit helps believers to say the right words, both to other people and to our God. Whereas this song is directed by God, we're told in verse 33 that Mary and Joseph are listening, and we can be sure that God wants them to hear what is being said. They marveled at what was said. Luke makes it clear that Mary was doing a lot of thinking about the astonishing events that were going on in her life. Luke chapter 1 verse 29 suggests she was troubled. And Luke chapter 2 verse 19 tells us she pondered these things in her heart. God knew that Mary and Joseph 
needed more information, more affirmation of the truth of what was happening in their lives. They hear Simeon's prophecy that the baby is the light that will shine upon the nations and that he will be the glory of God's people, Israel. For Simeon, his sense of being content to die isn't an individual thing. Yes, it's an answer to his personal faith in God's salvation, but chiefly, he's content with what it means for his people, Israel, and for other nations, the Gentiles. So in the drama, you, you may have been picking up that she's very excited at what it will mean for other people, for people that are her friends, but also people who are total strangers, people that she doesn't know. How do you think you might die content? What will satisfy you? Will it be the fulfillment of your individual desires, or will you be satisfied by seeing the transformation of other people's lives? In this book, A Great Light, a young king is instructed by an angel in the context of warfare in medieval Europe. The angel tells him, there is a war that will occur, and you will build an army that goes beyond the walls of this kingdom. You said if you could save one life, that would be enough. You will save tens, who will save hundreds, who will save thousands, and so on. His contentment is to be found in the salvation of many lives. Simeon tells us that God's salvation through Jesus was to be realized in a climate of both acceptance and rejection. No doubt we've been reminded this month of John's words in verse, verses 11 and 12 of the opening chapter of his gospel account. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We can trace the rejection of the Savior throughout the gospel accounts. Sometimes, perhaps, we have a blinkered view as believers that it was all rosy. In Luke 4, 28, we read how the people of Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus, rejected him in fury. In Luke 5, 21, the Pharisees don't recognize Jesus as God and accuse him of blaspheming. In Luke 9, 37, people begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. In John 6, 66, we read that many of the disciples turned away from Jesus and deserted him. In Luke 9.53, Jesus is not welcomed in a Samaritan village because of his association with Jerusalem. 
And in Luke 10, verses 13 to 15, we're told that the people of Chorazin and Bethsaida had refused to repent when Jesus preached there. Jesus himself explains the pattern of rejection. He describes the hard hearts of those who do hear God's word, but then how the devil comes and steals the words away and prevents them from believing and being saved. Luke chapter 8, verse 12. He knew he would have to suffer much and be rejected by the Jewish leaders, the elders, the chief priest, the teachers of the laws. The ultimate rejection was to come when his own people asked that he be killed and an insurrectionist be freed. Simeon was content, however, with the promise of salvation of many people. Jesus had set out a system of acceptance of God's saving word and how those saved lives would lead to more saved lives, tens, hundreds, thousands, millions. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, he paints a picture of people who listen to God's words and cling to them and steadily spread them to others who also soon believe. Simeon's song prepares Mary for the pain in her heart that she will see in Jesus being rejected. For us, it's a reminder not to welcome Jesus glibly each Christmas. The gospel is a divisive message and we should never treat it as easy or comfortable. The Holy Spirit speaks through Simeon's words to Mary and Joseph in their early faith in God's plan of salvation. There will be suffering. Everything will be exposed and raw and vulnerable. This Christmas season, as we welcome Christ again, where will we look to for our contentment? Might our resolution for the year and years to come be to devote our lives to prayer and be guided by the Holy Spirit that we too will see the salvation of many lives in our communities through Christ's suffering for our sin, through Christ's obedience to death for our disobedience. As the young king is told by the angel in a great light, prepare your heart, servant, as you have yet to experience the magnitude of suffering. Great is your reward. Let us be under no illusion. The faithful journey for Christ and Christians is very hard. The reward is in the saving of many lives. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Now, as we listen to Chan playing some music, our offertory will be received, our offering to God's work and the work of the church here in Dublin. We give thanks to God for these gifts that are signs of our devotion to him, our devotion to Jesus, our Savior. And we give thanks for the other ways in which we are able to support the work of the church. And as we give them, we recall the the words of Christmas devotion. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him. Give my heart. Amen. Let us pray. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We pray for people facing dangers of disaster, disease, and hunger. We remember the people of the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo experiencing an Ebola outbreak and communities in Sumatra, Java and northern Sulawesi in the aftermath of recent earthquakes and tsunamis. We pray for the many people of Lundazi Presbytery in eastern Zambia who face serious hunger. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. We pray for Christian communities in lands of conflict. We remember the people of Iraq, South Sudan and Syria. We pray for an end to fighting in the Central African Republic and for the reconciliation process to begin there. We ask you to respond to the needs of the victims, to draw close to all who are internally displaced, and to provide for the needs of refugees. We pray for the people of the Democratic Republic of Congo as they vote in landmark elections today and we remember the work of the Presbyterian University in Undesha in central Congo in its responsibility for training of future leaders of that country and of the church. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. We pray for church leaders whose lives are threatened for the strong stance they take 
for justice and righteousness. We remember those who are imprisoned for their faith. Among them, Kim Kuk Gee and Kim Jong-uk in North Korea. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. We pray for members of this congregation who find it difficult to attend worship here due to frailty, illness, or the demands of work. Enable them to know your presence in their own environment and to be strengthened by our fellowship of prayer. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We give you thanks for the challenging and promising words of prophets of old and preachers of our present age. Help them to prepare all believers for Christ's kingdom. Teach us by your Holy Spirit how we should follow the message that they proclaim. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. Now, before we sing our closing hymn, just want to draw your attention to our prayer ministry. If you've been here before on a Sunday, you'll notice that there isn't a table here today, but there's normally a table here, and that is a place where people can go and pray confidentially with others, where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus and receiving the encouragement of being prayed for and prayed with. And if you want to know a little bit more about the prayer ministry that goes on on a daily and weekly basis in this church, there are these notices <coughs> at the back of the church um, in, in one of the uh, racks on the wall, and it'll just give you more information about um, either being prayed for or praying for others within this congregation and in the wider world. And the person to talk to about that is here today, and that's Winnie, who's here in the center in, in, in a blue dress. And uh, she'll happily tell you a little bit more about the most important ministry that we have here in Adelaide Road. So our final hymn, which you perhaps recall singing sometime last Christmas, is to, a, again, a very familiar tune. Um, we're singing at this to an Italian tune. This is Down From His Glory, and we stand and sing. Now, as we go, kind spirit, keep us. In all we see, Christ be our focus. In all we do, his story shape us, that we may grow to God's good purpose, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.
and you're invited to stay for tea or coffee or something else downstairs um, immediately after the service, and if you get lost, someone will show you the way. <laughs>